and to preach this week. And I'm expecting the Lord to do what he does in revival services. And that speak to us our varied needs right where we are. Always amazes me. I can preach on one subject and someone will come to me and say, man, this is what I've been going through. And the Lord spoke to me tonight. And it wasn't nothing I talked about. I mean, I never got close to it. But the Lord, the Lord can take his word and minister right to the needs. Can you say amen? Amen. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter number 7. If you will, 2 Kings and chapter number 7. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 3. We'll read verse number 3 and 4 to begin. And then we'll come back through some of this for context later on in the message. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse number 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another... Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now, therefore, because of this, come, let us fall unto the hands of of the, I mean, of the host, unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Would you stretch your hands toward heaven and ask the Lord to touch us in this place? Would you sincerely call out to the Lord for us? Father... I pray right now that you would captivate our hearts and minds here for a few moments. Drive out every hindering spirit, the wicked fowl of the air that would steal your word from us before it has a chance to take root and grow. Bind him in Jesus' name. Give us liberty, Lord, to receive your word, to believe your word, and to respond to your word in Jesus' name we ask it, and everyone can say, Amen, Amen. I want to preach to you from this passage on making the best of bad options. Making the best of bad options. Some decisions in life require decisiveness and decisiveness is not a strong characteristic of mine I have trouble making decisions I have trouble making important decisions and the more important they are it seems like the more trouble I have making those decisions if we're shopping for something and we have decided what we want and what color it is and where we're going to buy it and the options it needs to have, if I get there and there is a pushy salesman, 
My wife knows right then. I'm probably not going to buy it. I don't like to be pushed into my decisions. Even though I think I've made a decision, if I get there and they're pushing me, especially if you're shopping for a car or some electronic thing, and they say, this is the only day I can give you this price. I, just, I'll, I always just say, well, let somebody else have it then. I'm not going to step in front of somebody else. Let somebody else have that good price, and I'll walk out the door. I'm just not real good at making decisions, especially quick decisions. A pastor friend of mine that I have preached for for years, I heard him make this statement in the pulpit. I, t- I told him about it a couple years later that I marked that statement. We had a good laugh about it, and his family said it's exactly dad, and it is. He said, I am not always right, but I am seldom in doubt. And that, that, that sums up a lot of people, but that's not my description. I am often in doubt and not always right either. It's just not me. I often second guess my decisions. And my wife will tell you this too. We have often missed opportunities while I was awaiting a decision up here in my little brain. The opportunity was gone. Yes, we'll call the realtor. We'll take that house. Sorry, it's gone. Well, it was there last week. <laughs> yeah, it's been gone since last week. You should have moved quicker, Davy. Listen to me, friend. Some decisions require that we lose our indecisiveness and make the decision especially life and death decisions and spiritual decisions. They must be made in a timely manner. That's why I have practiced what I'm fixing to tell you, and I offer this advice to young people if they will take it. Some decisions are better made ahead of time. When Kelly and I were young, very young, newly married, we decided we're going to be church people. The church we were attending at that time had church on Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and probably at least four revivals during the year, and often they were two-week revivals. And we decided we are going to go to church. Anybody understand what I'm talking about here? Because work will get in the way of church if you haven't decided, I'm going to church. Now, sometimes things get in your way anyway. But when at all possible, we were going to church. Well, people dropped in an hour before church time and I just couldn't leave them. I could because we decided. I didn't have to decide whether I was leaving or not, I'd already made that decision a year before. So some decisions we decided at, at, at a point in our life once we came to the understand, I talked about this some Sunday night, we decided we were going to be tithers. And when it wasn't easy and we had a choice to make, we tithed. We didn't do the other. 
because the decision had already been made. And so I advise that we make our decisions based on principle and not on circumstances. When we make our decision on circumstances, we're put in the heat of the moment and we may make a decision that we will regret later. And so we make a decision based on principle. Things that we were going to live, we're going to do this. This is going to be our answer every time because it's based on principles based on the Bible. And so the split second decision has already been made. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? A good friend of mine says, I make sense when I say it to myself. And that does make sense when I say it to myself. Does it make sense when I say it to you? We make decisions based on principle. So that when the storm comes, when the problem arises, we've already made the decision to do what's right. Now these men were in a horribly bad situation. Let me give you a little context from our text. The Syrians have come to destroy this city. They are going, they've surrounded the city. They have besieged the city of Samaria. They are choking off the supplies. No food's getting in. They don't have any food. They are starving to death. In fact, they are so far into this that they are eating human flesh inside that city. This is a dire circumstance. And these men, these lepers, are dependent on the kindness of their family and friends inside the city for them to eat. And probably that there's only four lepers left is a good indication that the rest of them in their weakened condition have already perished. Because the city doesn't have food. They don't have food to bring and to, to help sustain the lepers. So they are very near death and probably farther along than the city is. They're probably days ahead of them in starving to death. Now, hunger will drive you to do things that you might not consider doing at normal times. Can you say amen to that? Now, maybe we have never been that hungry. Thank God, in all of our low times, we have had money to buy food. Now, sometimes we were buying 49-cent packages of hot dogs, and we were buying cheap packages of ramen noodles, but we had food to eat. There were years that we weren't eating much steak. There were years we weren't even getting to eat much chicken. Whatever fillers they put in those little cheap hot dogs, we were getting plenty of that, though. Anybody understand what I mean? I mean, we've had some poor times. Thank God we're not there today. I had steak tips today. Hallelujah. Thanks to Brother Jarvis's kindness. But I would have bought them myself. I offered to because I got the money to buy steak now and then. But I haven't always had. We've had some low times, but we've always had money for food. A fat guy's always going to find a way to eat. Praise God. He can get to it. These people have no means 
to eat. And when you get hungry enough, it presents a situation that would cause you to do things you would not normally do. So here are these four leprous men outside the city gates. And they are in a horrible situation. They are starving to death. But I want you to see tonight that God is already working even when you are not aware of it. God is already working even when you are not aware of it. Now these men don't know anything about it. But Elisha has already prophesied tomorrow about this time there's going to be abundance of food. It's going to be sold in the street cheap, cheap, cheap. Right now they're paying unbelievable amounts of almost unedible things. Things you and I wouldn't consider eating. And they're giving their life savings for it. That means there's not much to eat. But tomorrow, we're going to have so much food that you're going to get a measure of fine flour for a very little amount of money. These men have no idea that the man of God has spoken. They don't know that God already has a plan working and they do not know it. They are not aware of it. The man of God says it's going to happen, but they do not know it. Can I tell you tonight, there is a plan in place. There is a program in production. There is a means of deliverance in motion. God's strategy is strong and in full swing. Not only in this Bible occurrence, but in whatever you are facing right now. I am absolutely confident that God has a plan in motion that you and I do not know anything about. And that's okay. I'm not beating us up because we don't know God's plan. I'm not saying we should already know God's plan. But we do need to know this. That God is making a way for us to go out before we ever went in. I said God is making a way for us to go out of this trial before you and I ever went in to this trial. This city is going to survive. Food is going to be plenteous. These lepers are going to live. And no one can see it but the prophet. Oh, hallelujah. God is working even when you and I are not aware. What did he say about? What did he say about troubles and temptation? That he would with those troubles and temptations make a way for you to escape. That you would not bear any more than you are able. But we say, God, I can't stand this. I say, God, this is too much for me. You ever said that? Lord, this is too much for me. I can't carry this. God has more confidence in you than you do. Because he said, you don't have more than you can bear. That means he pre-measured you for this trial. The trial that you think is killing you is not killing you. It's 
making you. Because God said, and God's right all the time, that you are not overburdened. Oh, it may feel like it. It does to me sometimes. But God said, I can take it. And if God said, I can take it, then I can make it. And if God said you can take it, then listen to me, friend. On Tuesday night of revival, you can make it. God's working. I can't see it, but God is working. And I want you to see this too. God's plan would likely surprise you at times. God may use people we never considered. God may use people we thought were unusable. God may even use you. Who knew that God was going to use these four starving men to bring food to a whole city? They didn't know it. Elisha didn't give any indication of it. He probably didn't know it. King didn't know it. Nobody knew it. But God, have you ever had God use somebody you thought was unusable? 30 plus years ago, we were preaching in Arkansas. I'd been invited to preach a two-week revival at a church. I'd never been to the church. Met the pastor somewhere at a meeting. He said, I want you to preach two weeks. Man, I was excited to get a two-week revival. Got there and found out it was the pastor, his grown daughter, And four elderly women. That was the church. And I was going to get to preach to them for two weeks. It was in Arkansas. It wasn't far from uh, Brother Gary Hampton. He was out of the country on a mission trip. His wife and one of the boys that was still at home came every night. They didn't have church and helped us. Oh, what an encouragement it was to have somebody that was awake. While I was preaching. (laughs) Oh yeah. We were coming down to the end of the second week. We were driving an old Plymouth Reliant station wagon. It was everything but reliable. And we had went to town for something that afternoon. And it just just quit. And, And it was the alternator and the battery. And I didn't have much money. They were giving me the offering every night, but it didn't have, still didn't have much money. You know, you're not going to get much money in a church like that, and that's understandable. It's okay. But I just, I just didn't have much. And at that time, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a credit card. It wasn't good wisdom for me to have a credit card at that time because I'd have charged it and not been able to pay it. And so we happened to break down in the parking lot of a Walmart. And so I went in, and it was almost 5 o'clock. And the guy come out and confirmed your battery's bad and your alternator's bad. He went in and looked up the alternator, and it was three-something. He said, let me tell you, go down to the parts place, and by this part number, it's the same alternator, but it's got a different pulley. And I'll put your pulley on it, and, and I'll, I'll fix it for you, and you buy a battery. I said, I don't have any way to get to the parts place. And he threw his keys to me. He said, take my car. Right there it is. And so the kindness of this man, I went down, got an alternator. He changed the pulley, and Walmart was closed. It's after 5 now. We've got church at 7 or 7.30. 
And he's out there working. Gets the battery, gets in, starts it up. Goes in with the bill. I'm about to hold my breath because I've just paid about $100 for the alternator and then the battery. Anyway, it ended up being everything but about $3 that we had. But I did have money left over. And while he was working, he was talking about all these Trinity devils in their town. And these churches popping up, preaching the Trinity. And how devilish doctrine it was. I realized he thought I was one of them. One of his. He thought I was oneness. And I kept my mouth shut. (laughs) I figured, ain't no sense in trying to witness to him right now. He's busy. (laughs) Probably wouldn't have helped me at all. Saved me at least $200 on the alternator. Loaned me his car. Got me going for under budget. Praise God. I want to tell you, God can use somebody that might hate you. God can use somebody that thinks you're a devil. Because God may use anybody and it might surprise you. Reminds me of the older sister that always prayed next to her open window. And she was praying for groceries. Gave God her grocery list. You remember that story? And those two old hooligans outside making fun of her. They went and bought what was on her list and dropped them down the window on top of her. And so her groceries she was praying for fell right on her. And she went to shouting and hooping and hollering. And they knocked on the door and said, you're a foolish woman. God didn't get those groceries for you. We did. And she got to shouting again. And she said, God got my groceries and the devil paid for them. Hallelujah. Listen, it doesn't matter where help comes from. I'm just telling you, God's got help for you. And the the source may surprise you. But it's God working his plan for you. He might even use you. You may be an instrument of God's provision for someone else. You might be a covering, a spiritual covering for someone else. It might be your prayers that make the difference in somebody else's trouble. Hallelujah. I can't do it. I'm limited. I'm handicapped spiritually. I'm basically just a leper. But God can use you. Oh, yes, He can. This mighty army surrounding our city. They've cut off the food supply. We're starving to death. And we can imagine all sorts of ways that God might deliver us if we're inside the city. Think about it. If they know Scripture, they know that God has sometime sent hailstones to the army. The invading army was covered by hail and they had to leave. Other times God has sent pestilence to the invading army and they had to leave. Other times God told them to dig ditches and fill the ditches with water and it looked like blood. And the army, the invading army rose up and killed each other and ran. They they might be inside the city saying, hey, there's still hope. There's still hope. God could still do this. But I guarantee you not one of them said, those four sick men out there, 
yeah, the ones hiding under the tree, I think God's going to use them. I, I point that out to say to us, we are likely to be wrong about our proposed deliverance from the Lord. I know I have prayed. I don't, I don't know if I'm the only one. I'm fixing to find out. I have prayed and outlined God's plan for him. Now, Lord, you could do this. Lord, you could do this. You could use this thing. You could use this thing. And I'm never right. Never have been right. Sometimes I forced it a few times and about caused a mess. But when God is working, working his plan in your life, it will almost 100% of the time be a surprise to you. Because God does not operate under our human thoughts of ability. Go ahead and keep imagining all the ways that God is going to bring deliverance. But I dare say, no one imagined these four sick, weary, hungry, desperate lepers would be used of God. How can four lepers defeat an army? How can four healthy men defeat an army? That option is not going to work. But I tell you with certainty, that option did work. It never crossed their minds, but it was on God's mind all along. God has a way of doing things, if you'll pardon the expression, that will blow your ever-loving mind. God's ways are above our ways. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. God's resources are above our resources. When our options are extremely limited, do not get your attention hyper-focused on a specific way that God might do it because our options are limited, our imaginations are limited, but God is not limited. Can I preach to somebody here tonight in the middle of your situation, whatever it is, God is not limited. He's not limited by our scarce or bad options. God is already working even when you are not aware. God's plan would likely surprise you. And your desperation may prove to be a blessing. Do you hear me tonight? Will you hear me tonight? Your desperation may prove to be a blessing. One thing these men had going for them, all they had were bad options. <laughs> That's one thing that was in their favor. They had nothing to live for and no one to save them. I don't like being in that place. I'm not asking God to put me in that place, but I've been there before. And when I had no options, God still had options. The best of bad options is whatever God's doing. I said the best of bad options is whatever God is doing. These four starving lepers on a slippery slope 
out of rope, out of hope. And they are desperate. I'm glad we get to listen to some of their conversation. What I read to you for our text is a conversation of desperation. Let's, let's listen again. Can we? If we say we will enter into the city. If we, if we say, okay, let's just go to the city. They're probably not going to let us in because we have a deadly disease. But if they let us in, the famines in the city, they're starving to death. And we shall die there. Option number one, go into the city and die. If we sit still here and do nothing, what's the result? We die also. Option number two, die. Option number one, die. Option number two, say it with me, die. Now, what's the final option? How about we do something crazy? Because our other two options are certain death, let's think about walking over to the enemy's camp. And I hear what I'm saying. You mean the people that came to kill us all? Yeah. Yeah, hear me out here now. They said, hear me out. What about we go over there? We come to the perimeter of that thing. Maybe one of those guys guarding the perimeter has a dad that's a leper or a brother or a cousin that's a leper. Maybe he'll have compassion on us and throw us a few scraps of food. And maybe we can live. And one of them says, yeah, but that's not likely to happen. They're liable to kill us if they see us. Yeah, but if they don't, we have a chance to live. And if they do kill us, we shall but die. Y'all getting this now? Option number one is die. Option number two is die. Option number three is probably die. Now you've got bad options when your best option is probably die. Die, die, or probably die. And I submit to you tonight the best option is probably die. That is way better than certainly die. Of their limited options, only one of them offers any hope at all and probably die is not much hope. They are desperate. They are willing to do the unthinkable and making the best of bad options is finding the best option of the bad options and the best option is the one that gives God opportunity to work in your situation God's not going to work for me if I do nothing I'm just going to pout and die I'm just going to go over here and certainly die but God has an opportunity to work in our lives when we are willing to break out 
of our comfort zone and do what we would have never been willing to do before in normal circumstances. I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to march toward the enemy and give God a chance to work. And do you know what happened? God did work. Here's the footsteps of these four men. They're sick. They're dragging their feet through the sand. They're not an imposing army at all. But God took the sound of their footsteps and magnified it. And it sounded like a multitude of an approaching army. And it scared the Syrians just about to death. And they left their tents. And they left their clothes. And they left their weapons. And they left their animals. And most of all, they left their food. Hallelujah. I said they left their food. And to make a long story short, that food not only fed those four men, but it fed the whole city. And the next day, God's word was fulfilled. A measure of fine flour was sold for the smallest piece of money because four men did the only thing they had that might give God an option to work. I'm going to tell you, I know I have missed some miracles that in hindsight, I realize I did not give God a chance to work. I said, I know what I'll do. I'll just jump up and do this. Or I'll just do nothing because it's hopeless. And I missed my miracle. I'm not going to ask you if that applies to you. But I have a sneaking suspicion it might. The best thing for us to do when we're out of good options is do the one thing that gives God a chance to work in our lives. We were talking about Brother Kenny Morris before church. Brother Kenny pastors in Ellisville, Mississippi. He has been a mentor to us going on nearly 20 years. We preach revival there every year. Love having revival there. I was saying in the pulpit years ago, oh, I'd love to see more miracles. I'd love to see more miracles. And after the altar service and while we were visiting Brother Kenny said, Brother Davey, would you like to know why we don't have more miracles in our churches? I said, yes, Brother Kenny, I would love it. And he said, because we don't need them. Well, that, that kind of threw me for a second. I thought, well, yeah, I need them. But what he was saying is, we have so many other options. The reason that the people who built this church had broken bones healed and broken lives healed and miracles on a regular basis is because they didn't have a doctor to run to and they didn't have a hospital to run to and some of them probably didn't have much money to go if they did have. Are you following me? Oh yes, we need them, but we have options. A man, older preacher, lay preacher used to come to the church I was raised in 
And, and I always loved it as a kid when he would tell this story about how he was working and he was preaching and he was farming and he was too busy. And his wife said to him for several days in a row, honey, the milk cow is down, not given much milk. And they didn't have any other option. You could go probably 10 places within a couple miles here and buy a gallon of milk, but they couldn't. The kids didn't have milk if the milk cow quit giving. And finally she said, just forget it. The cow's all the way down. And so that got his attention. And he went out there and sure enough, cow was laying on its side. And here's the way he would say it. All swolled up. You know what swolled is. I'm not going to give you a demonstration of swolled. But... <laughs> and he said he laid hands on that cow, prayed for that cow, and went on to work. And when he got home the next day, the cow was up on four feet giving milk. You said, well, I can't believe that. Well, you didn't need it. I've never had to pray for my cow. Y'all with me here? Never owned a cow. Never, had to, never depended on that cow for milk. But they did. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? When we need it, we get desperate for it. And we got to have it. we got to have a miracle. When we're desperate for a miracle, I am so sorry to say this, but we need to need more, and God will do more. Oh, I'm not asking for hard times. No, no, no. I'm not asking for sickness, and God knows I'm not. I'm not asking for hard times for any of us. But when we need God, God always comes through. Our desperation may be the very best thing that ever happened to us. Right now, and I, and I, I need to quit. I'm past time. I need to quit. But I'm thinking of miracle after miracle after miracle in our own lives. Kelly and Odie and I that we have seen. And every time, God was our only option. Every time, God was our only option. Desperate men doing desperate things saved a whole nation. Oh, I can imagine miracles in your family. Miracles in your extended family. Miracles right here in this church. Miracles even during this revival when we are so desperate that God says, I'm on my way. I'm going to work my plan because of your desperation. Would you stand with us? Oh, I feel the Lord speaking to us here tonight. God, speak clearly, Lord, beyond my voice and beyond my feeble efforts. Speak to your blessed people, Lord. Your blessed people, let faith, let faith rise up in our hearts, Lord. Let faith rise up in our hearts. Save our children, Lord. Work in our marriages, Lord. Work in our jobs and our businesses, Lord. 
work in the situations that we've never told anybody else about, Lord. Heal our bodies and lift our diseases. We are desperate, Lord, for a move of God. We believe, we know you are able. Lord, we confess we have leaned. I have leaned. I cannot speak for these precious people, but I have leaned on other things that seemed trustworthy. But Lord, I have reached my extremity and I am desperate, Lord. I'm desperate for a miracle, Lord. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm without hope except for you, Lord. And I'm believing you for a miracle in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Anybody want to join me in the altar and bring your desperation to the altar? Lord, I'm desperate for a move of God. Lord, I need to be healed. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I trust in your word. Lord, I trust in your way. I'm at the end of my rope, Lord. And I'm leaving you for divine healing. In the name of Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, saints. Come on, saints. We need a move of God right here. We need a move of God right here. You don't need my word. You need God's word. You don't need my way. You need God's will. God, I'm desperate. When you God, I've got to have a move of your spirit on Tuesday night revival. God, Lord, my wife needs a touch. Lord, my daughter needs a touch. Lord, my friends need a touch. God, I need your touch. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Reach for him, my brothers. Reach for him, my sisters. God, I'm out of options. I'm out of options, Lord. And I've got to have your help. Got to have your help, Lord.